So today, as I mentioned, I want to talk about gratitude. And the reason I want to talk about that, um, one of the prompts for that was I was uh, driving down the coast last week, and I stopped off in big, no, it was Monterey. It was a beautiful sunny day, and a lot of people at the beach. And uh, I stopped in the parking lot, and there was a man who looked like he was living out of his van, sort of truck van thing, makeshift house. And, uh, you know, we nodded and I said, how are you doing? And he said, blessed, mm. blessed. And I thought, wow, that's an amazing answer. If that's, his, if that's his circumstances, which I assume it was. And that was his response to, how are you? I'm blessed. And I, that stayed with me all week. What would it be to answer, how are you, with blessed, I'm blessed. Because the truth is, we are. Most of the time we don't either know it, or remember it, or believe it, or think about it, because our attention is on what's not right what's not here, what's not enough, what's not good enough, what's not perfect. <coughs> so we're always, you know, the, uh, you could say our conditioning, our conditioned response, socially, culturally, evolutionary, is to look for what's problematic, what's a threat, what's difficult, what's challenging, what's not right. And so we have a view that we're not so blessed, that we're not feeling so grateful, because our attention is not attuned to what we have, to the blessings that we have, of which all of us have a multitude of blessings. Even if your life is very difficult and challenging, which life can be, there's also tremendous blessing. So I think about my dear friend Eugene, who I've talked about here, Eugene Cash, who was a Dharma teacher who had a bad, very bad bike accident a month ago. He's been in hospital ever since, and he's going to be released next week back home. Happy to say, making slow but steady progress. And he, you know, terrible thing to happen. Body's really beaten up, lots of broken bones, severe <coughs> concussion, some slow recovery in the brain memory areas. And, but he's blessed in so many ways. He's, he's, he's so loved that he's had a 24-hour watch of friends volunteering, signing up to be with him. 24 hours a day for the last month which is a lot of time, and great care, great medical care, a lot of love. Um, sometimes we don't know when we will receive the greatest blessings. Sometimes our, our times of adversity are the times that actually, uh, when we can frame them in a certain light, become the times that are the greatest blessings. I'm sure many of you know that from your experience, that things that some things happen 
that at first appear like a tragedy or incredibly painful or challenging, we look back and think whether that was an incredible blessing that that happened, that that I woke up in some way. I can think back in times of my own life when I've been through very, very difficult, painful periods for various reasons, emotional or otherwise, and I look back and see that it was a blessing because it helped wake me up. It helped wake my heart up, helped wake my mind up, helped make me more compassionate, more empathic, more sensitive, more open, more humble. Um, if nothing, we, that we, if, if we get nothing out of those things but humility, that's often a great thing. Or we remember the precariousness and the fragility of our life. So there's a Native American practice that I learnt, um, and it goes like this. So I woke up this morning, and uh, it was still dark, and uh, I was lying in my bed. I was lying in my guest bed, because I have guests in my bed, so I'm lying in my guest bed on the floor. But it's still soft, and it's warm, and it's cozy, and I still have my down pillow. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling grateful for the fact that I have a warm bed, and I'm wondering if you feel that way too. And I also reflected on how safe I feel in my house. I'm in a safe neighborhood, there's no no seeming threat, and appreciating the, the relative safety that we live in in this area. And I'm wondering if you feel that way too. And then I got up, and um, uh, my housemate made this really amazing uh, kind of raw green thing, smoothie thing, <laughs> which tastes really good. And uh, my other friends were cooking some food, and and I realized how much blessing we have with the food that we have, like healthy food, good food, organic food. And I was giving a lot of thanks, and I'm wondering if you that, feel that way too. And, uh, and then I remembered, oh, I'm teaching at Spirit Rock tonight. Oh, I'm glad I remembered. That's good. <laughs> I feel grateful for my memory that works sometimes. And, uh, and I was thinking, oh, it's what, a great thing, what a great thing to do, to be, a, be part of Spirit Rock, to go to Spirit Rock, to share the Dharma at Spirit Rock, to practice together and meditate together and be an appreciation for this place and the land and the tradition. I'm wondering if you feel that way too. So... Um, I like that practice to just, to, just to, as an ongoing practice, one of my favorite practices is a journal practice, uh, and it's, it's a never-ending uh, gratitude practice, where you just sit down and you just freestyle write whatever you feel grateful for. And you might start off with, I don't know, the weather, or your left toe, or, you know, your parents, or the carpet, or the windows, or the Stalin, whatever, and, it just, and then just flows. And it ripples, it's like a tide, it's, it grows. Uh, the Buddha said, gratitude is one of the highest protections against negativity in the mind. One of the highest protections. 
protects protects the mind, like many of the qualities that he taught and encouraged us to develop, protect the mind from its usual tendencies, which I was talking about earlier, of slipping into what's deficient, what's not right, what's not perfect. So it's a way that we incline our mind. I talk a lot about the way the Buddha talked about, uh, he said, whatever we frequently ponder and dwell upon, that the mind and heart becomes. Whatever we frequently dwell and ponder upon, that we become. We, we become that which we practice, which we are, the habits of our lives. So, um, so gratitude is one of those great habit practices, habit-forming, positive-generating practices that's very accessible, it's very available. You don't need to meditate for three hours in a cave. You just call to mind something you're grateful for. And it's not difficult. Did anybody find it difficult to find something to be grateful for? No. Right, it's very available. But how many times do we do that in the day? Not, not so much. You know, somebody, something might, you know, some friend calls us and we feel a flood of gratitude or somebody gives us something or, you know, we have those moments and the sun comes out. If you live in Mill Valley and the sun comes out, and, you know, it's like, wow, it's, oh, what's that? Oh, it's the sun, I forgot. Yeah, I like that. But otherwise, we go on autopilot as we as we do through our lives, and we and we, we, we don't you know we don't see things fresh, and so we don't see what we have. Sometimes it takes us going traveling to other countries or other places where people live less, much less, at least materially fortunate lives, and we see, wow, I've really got a lot. I've got more in my backpack than this family of fifteen have in their house. So, so it's all a question of attitude, how we orient to the moment, to our lives, to our situation, right? Whether the, the cup is half full or half empty. So Blake wrote, the tree which moves some to tears of joy is in the eye of others a green thing that stands in their way, or a bunch of firewood. The thing that moves some people to joy is something that's an obstacle or awkward or in the way in some way. So, So it comes back to awareness and comes back to choice, that we have that choice moment to moment to remember. So sati, mindfulness, is to remember, to recollect. And so gratitude, in a way, is a, is a part of that recollection practice, recognizing what we have. So I'm going to talk about that today. This, this seeming, um, we walk this line like this red carpet here, and... Uh, when we live in the realm of the mind and the ego, does anybody have an ego here that's very satisfied? <laughs> that's really content with the way things are, that's happy with your personality, that really likes your body a lot, that doesn't need to improve itself. Right? No, it's not where the ego hangs out. The ego hangs out in you know, problem solving and fixing and analyzing. Yeah, it has its place, right? It gets us to, you know, improve, you know, decorate the house, you know, and fix the car, and maybe get a nicer car, you know, and you know, 
fix a hole in your genes. You know, it comes in handy to notice those things and to improve. And, you know, it's the place for all of it. But if we live there, then we live an impoverished life. We live a deficient life. We live feeling that there's something's not enough. And so we might feel incredibly wealthy materially, but we feel spiritually impoverished, which I would say is true for much of uh, industrialized cultures. We live materially, incredibly abundant lives. They were the wealthiest lives that have ever, the planet's ever seen, more access to material wealth the planet's ever seen, but not necessarily very inwardly uh, rich, spiritually poor. So this is one of those places I, you know, I find, I find at this point in my practice, I find, I find it amusing to pay attention to where my mind is hanging out, to what it's, where it's gravitating, what, what it's looking at whether it's seeing the cup as half full or half empty, whether I'm looking to what's not right, what's broken. So maybe you can reflect on this for yourself. Like, where, where do you hang out? Do you, how many people, you know, live in uh, an ongoing state of gratitude? Many people here would say they resound. There's a few. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So practice helps wake us up. Yeah. But that was probably 5%. Yeah, 1% actually. <laughs> There's this great uh, uh, story in the, in the Cafe Gratitude. People know Cafe Gratitude? And um, they have a really great book on gratitude. Surprise, surprise. And, um, and there's a story about, I think one of the authors, they get a parking ticket in the city in San Francisco, which is a pretty common experience. And that could be experienced as really like a downer. You know, it's expensive tickets these days. They're like 50, 60 bucks for a parking ticket. 90. 80. 90, 80. Do I hear more? 100. <laughs> Not an uphill, 1,000 bucks. Um, okay, it's expensive. That's why mindfulness is really helpful. You know, you get out the car, you put money in the meter, it's good. Um, and so the first, the first response of this author was, oh no, like, it's, it's due to contraction, oh no, I've got a ticket, it's money, I'm struggling for money. And then the second thought was, well, I guess the city needs the money. You know, they're funding all these schools and homeless projects and you know, street cleaning. And, and he said, well, it's a way to you know, pay back to the city. You know, so I think that every time I get a ticket now, it's like, oh, I guess the city needs it. I guess I didn't need that money, and they need it for whatever they need, you know, to pay for the people giving us parking tickets or whatever they spend their money on. I don't know what they spend their money on. Give someone a job, you know, job creation. Stimulus. Stimulus of the people. So... Um, you know, we live in this culture where it would be, it would be really um, anti-patriotic to feel too much gratitude because we would feel too abundant and we wouldn't want enough and we wouldn't buy enough, right? And we wouldn't be consuming enough and that would be not good for the economy. So we need to have a little unsatisfactoriness around all of that. Otherwise, you know, we won't consume. This is my favorite 
um, ad that I, I read sometimes here. Um, it's from it's from Outside Magazine. It's a really nice outdoor magazine. And there's a guy sitting in front of his, uh, a young man sitting in front of his gear. Right? He's got his kayak and his scuba and his bike and his dog and his skis and his computer and his football and his uh, surfboard and computer and golf clubs and you know, all kinds of other stuff. And his, and his, and his wagon. And it says, and then the guy sitting in front of his stuff looking very zen and happy. And it says, Spence has put a new twist on an old philosophy. To be one with everything, he says, you've got to have one of everything. <laughs> That's why he also has the new Ford Ranger. <laughs> so he can seek wisdom on a mountaintop, take off in a hot pursuit of enlightenment, and connect with Mother Earth by looking no further than into the planet's coolest four-door compact pickup. He says it gives him easy access to inner peace, which makes him one happy soul. So there you go. Just get enough stuff and you'll be happy, including a new Ford compact pickup. So what story of not enough do you listen to? We all have those tapes. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. That's more fundamental. I'm not enough as myself. That's a hard place to start from in the morning. I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not mindful enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not young enough, old enough, whatever the story is. It's the opposite of living in abundance, of living in deficiency. What am I not of? I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not successful enough. Right? And we buy into these these tape loops. Anybody have one of these tape loops or several? And when they run together, it's really painful. I remember when my book came out, uh, and a thing that authors like to do, some authors like to do. Fortunately, I didn't know about this at the time. Was mm-hmm. is you can go on Amazon and you can find out your your rating, like your global rating on Amazon of how popular you are. Depending, you know, depending on your last book sales, right? So it's a complete nightmare for people who like to know where they where they're in the standing, you know. So um, I didn't get very high. <laughs> last time someone said, "Oh, you went from eighty-six thousand to sixty-four thousand five hundred and something or other." I was like, "Oh, that's exciting." Um, I think I must have sold two books to get, you know, up the, up the rankings that week. Um, and it was, you know, it was interesting to see where my mind went. I could either go to, well, I haven't made the bestseller list. I haven't sold thousands, millions of copies. Or I could focus on what I did sell, which was you know, plenty. You know, and it was just happy that some people were reading it. You know, so it's really, it's always a question of attitude, how we view each situation. There's a quote, I think this is from... Um, hmm, Lao Tzu, I think, those who have enough, those who understand enough, truly have enough. Those who understand what is enough, what it means to have enough, have enough. Oh, this quote from Robert Quillen, if you count all of your assets, and this means all of your assets, you always show a profit. 
if you really can, if you really know what all of your assets are, right? Not just what's on the spreadsheet, not just what's in your bank account, not just what your home is worth, even if it's upside down or whatever, but what your real asset, your real net worth is, right? Got nothing to do with your bank account, you know? Nothing to do with the cost of your house. That's not what we take to the grave. What our assets are the, that which we all inherently have as our own value, our innate value, for one, which doesn't can't show up on a spreadsheet, and the um, the assets that we have living our lives. Yeah? Does Spirit Rock show up on your ledger? You know, on your balance sheet. Does your community show up on your balance sheet? Your friendships. How do you quantify your friendships? Right? Probably the most valuable thing we have: are family and friends. So we, even if we're broke and you know, don't have anything, we still have a lot. We have this earth and the abundance of the earth. We have air to breathe and water to drink and beauty and light and elements. We have gravity. Just thinking what it would be like if we don't have gravity, we'd be floating up on the ceiling. It'd really be a drag. We have sunlight, we have relative safety, we have freedom of movement, of speech, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. So do we think about those as our assets? Or your body? Do you ever feel gratitude for your body? You know, we notice the body when it's sick, when it's not working well, when it's aching, when it's tired, when it's hungry, when it's stiff, when it's you know, injured. But they're amazing things, these bodies. Like when we get when we get it when we cut ourselves when we you know and then the body heals itself forms a scab and then it just does it all by itself you know? or the senses you know we have five senses and you think of the the wealth that we perceive through our senses like this beautiful day this, the fall the light the, the the light of this weekend. <coughs> The sounds that we hear, the music, the conversation, the birds singing. And last night I was listening to the coyotes howl. You know, just that's a blessing. It's a, it, it, it's a, it, to to notice that, to hear that, right? to breathe. Can we feel grateful for our breath? The lungs keep working, yeah. effortless. You don't look so impressed with that one. Try holding your breath for a couple of minutes and then you'll feel grateful for your breath. <laughs> Have someone hold you underwater for a little bit. Or the sense of taste, you know, the taste buds. The joys that we experience through the senses. The smells, the scent of the woods after the rain. Jasmine flowers, blossoms. Mm-hmm. Or you could take a moment to think about all the people that support you being here right now. All the people that support this happening. You know, not just the staff, which is an important piece, and the volunteers who help, and people who built these buildings and painted these tankers and built these sculptures and 
But just the very more, more ordinary things than that, like someone built the road that you drove on. Many, many people built the road and repaved it and repaved it and chopped the trees down to make the road. Right? Just imagine living in San Francisco without any road. Be kind of a drag to get here. So I like to extend the the um, the normal field of gratitude to think about to take sometimes the grat- some practices really help break down polarities. So gratitude is one of them. So for instance, to um, be grateful for uh, oil, oil drilling. Mm-hmm. Right? Most of us might go oil drilling is pretty uncool. You know, greenhouse gases. Da, 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 da. Well, your car wouldn't get very far for a start. You know, nor would the rain gear that you're wearing when you were in the rain, because it's all made from oil. Or the, uh, some of the jewelry you're wearing, or the buttons you're using, or the zips you're using. You know, all this stuff comes from things that we may not necessarily agree with on some level, and yet we all benefit from the clothing that we, you know, all this stretch clothing that we make now, that we wear now. Or your credit card. How many people are grateful for credit card companies? <laughs> Not many, but they come in handy. And are the people that make your clothes. Again, we're here supported by, you know, people from all over the world. You know, maybe the cotton's grown in Georgia, but it's probably dyed in, who knows where, Colombia, or it's sewn in Shanghai when the zips are made in the Philippines, or the buttons in Mexico. You know, if we think about it, just think about what, what you're wearing, and where it may have come from, and all the people, the hands that went into making it, shearing the sheep, and the sheep, yeah? and the leather on your shoes, and the mining of the stones, and the gold and the silver. Yeah? and the cotton. What does that do? Does anybody say, what does that do when you think about that? Does it extend your vision out a little bit? Yeah, it's like, wow, there's a a huge amount of life supporting everything that we do. It's kind of amazing. And we give back in the same way by whatever we do in in our lives and our work. So I think about um, another another uh, pharmaceutical companies. Right? So another you know top ten favorite people you want to love, right? Oil companies, credit card companies, pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> you know they're rubbing the state and they're killing HMOs and all whatever they think of them. You know, and then I'm looking at my friend who's in hospital with intense pain, and his life is made bearable because of this really refined use of painkillers. So whenever I think about those companies, they also bring tremendous uh, benefit for people. So then we can think about, well, how do we get here? This is going to be a biology 101 lesson. 
we didn't come from plants. No, we here through love, mostly. We don't survive without love, for the most part. It's the one thing children need, infants need, love, affection, being held. So no matter how difficult we may view and how many years of therapy we may be doing in relationship to our upbringing and conditioning, that we were all supported and loved and given to very generously to be here, to to be alive. So I remember at some point in my practice years, uh, sort of waking up to how much my parents and therefore all parents uh, work to raise children. Having, you know, at that time I was like 21 or something, I hadn't really given a thought because you don't, you know, as like children. And then at some point something happens and you wake up and you go, oh my God, this endless slave labor, <laughs> unpaid, <laughs> unthanked <laughs> for decades. Yeah, you know, it's a tremendous act of love and service. And it's amazing. And we're all here because of some expression of that. Yeah? And it really shifted my problem-seeking mind and the blame-seeking mind, right? Well, you know, it wasn't enough of this, enough of that, or that may be true or not. And what else happened? Oh, there was this tremendous love and generosity that happened. So another place where I turn my mind in terms of gratitude is in, uh, around Spirit Rock, around the teachings, around the Dharma, around Sangha community. The fact that we have somewhere like this to practice. For those of you who've meditated a lot and practiced a lot, what would your life be like if you hadn't encountered meditation and the Dharma? I'd be a lot crazier, for sure. <laughs> and a lot less happy, and a lot less grounded, and a lot less calm, and I'd be way more reactive, right? And probably lonelier. I have most of my friends are Dharma friends. In fact, they all are, pretty much. So, you know, this is a rare thing. The Buddha said it's a rare thing to be born a human being. It's even rarer to have any contact with, the, with teachings, the Dharma. Uh, it's even more rare to practice, to understand them, even more rare to mm-hmm. practice them, put them into practice, have a teacher training to learn, even more rare to realize the potential of them. Yeah? So you're already well on the way by just the fact of being here, you're interested, you're practicing, you're learning, you're growing. And it's a huge blessing. Most people are mostly struggling with survival needs on this planet, for the most part. Don't have this blessing. I'm hoping I'm not making you feel terribly guilty that you should be suddenly, you know, like you've got all these great things and you should be feeling better than you are. No, just to, it's just to point out, just to, I'm just pointing some of these things out to like, oh yeah, I can be appreciative of that. You know, we're living at this time where we have an, an unparalleled access to all the wisdom teachings of the world. You know, sometimes you'd have to, you have to, if you're in Japan, you know, in medieval Japan, you'd, you'd have to sit outside in the cold snow for three days outside a monastery, and the Zen master might think about letting you in. Maybe, you know. Maybe if you sat for a week, you might get in, you know. 
Here we just go online. Ah, Spirit Rock, 7 o'clock. Mm, yeah, sounds good. No, I'll go to Zen Center. That's more interesting. Yeah. No, I'll go to the Tibetans. That looks way more fun. Yeah. <laughs> or any other 50 other California smorgasbord spiritual offerings in Marin that are happening right now. But what a blessing, you know, to have this on our doorstep. So there's the feeling of the gratitude, and then there's expressing gratitude. There's a phrase I like, it says, silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. Mm-hmm. I don't entirely agree with, because silent gratitude is a wonderful thing. But to express it, as Master Eckhart, Master, Eckhart, Master Eckhart said, if the only prayer you said in your life was thank you, that would suffice. If only the prayer you said was thank you, that would be enough. So I want to do a little practice together, because I can go on and on, but I think it's more interesting just to explore for ourselves some questions, and I want us to do this in pairs, just, just to explore gratitude. So I'm going, to, I'm going to read a bunch of questions, and you can choose which question you want to focus on. So the question, the question you could answer is, what are you grateful for? Or what blocks gratitude? What gets in the way of you being grateful? What are you grateful for? What blocks this capacity of gratitude? Or the third question, what gifts in your life are hard to let in? What gifts in your life are hard to let in? Sometimes we can't be grateful because we can't actually let what's here. Someone may be wanting to love us. There's many ways that we, we don't even allow ourselves to let the blessings in. But mostly just explore, what are you grateful for and what gets in the way of you feeling gratitude? So just turn to somebody and we'll take about five minutes and just uh, say hello. Put your hand up if you can't find somebody and walk around the room. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.